services, that when we pray for people who are being treated, who are ill or who have physical issues, to always remember to pray also for the caregivers. And we have several of those in our church right now. I want to encourage you to, uh, to be a Barnabas to them. It's good to see Margaret Watson here this morning. Margaret's life right now consists of taking care of her husband. And uh, every hour, just about of every day, it's a long process for her. Uh, he still has the feeding tube, uh, so that has to be taken care of and provided for. Uh, he's eating some by mouth, and that has to be pureed down, and you know that takes time uh, to do that. Margaret has her own physical challenges right now. She's not supposed to lift anything over four pounds. But in taking care of him, there's some things that she has to do. So I want you to pray for God would strengthen her. And then it wouldn't hurt at all for her to get several calls uh, for folks that might be able to do anything to help them. She was telling me this morning, the neighbor across the street is coming over, has told her, said, you just put your trash on the porch and I'll come get it and take it out to the road. And uh, so that's an that's a encouragement, that's a help to her. Um, but we can be a help. Peggy Wharton is here with us on Sunday mornings, and I sort of got under conviction because I, I don't mean to eavesdrop in conversations, but as she comes in the door, do you know what I hear? I hear people say this, how's Roger? How's Roger? How's Roger? And uh, the other day, the Lord said, don't ask her about Roger, ask her about Peggy. And uh, so she stepped in, and I said, how's Peggy doing? And she's facing some things right now, physically, and uh, is going to the doctor to get, uh, get advice and, and, uh, and what have you. So I want you to be in prayer for her. Bill Gooding said yesterday was a good day for him. He had a lot of visitors. I told you that this morning about counting the uh, ceiling tiles. And you can, you can be an encouragement to him. Now, he has been out for about seven weeks now and uh, two weeks back in the hospital. We don't know how long he's going to be there. And if you can't get by to see him, call him. And uh, I tell you, the easiest way to get in touch with him, uh, many of you may know that the Hanover Exchange, the Mechanicsville Exchange, is 746. Now, when they built the hospital, they added an exchange, 764, and then you can dial in the room number. And Bill is in 2178. And so if you dial 764-2178, he picks up. And uh, so you can talk with him for a while or listen to him, one of the two, according to how he's feeling. But uh, he said, Preacher, you don't know how good yesterday was. He said it was like a revolving door in and out and family and friends coming. He said, it sure did help my day. And uh, so let's be mindful of helping people in hours that they need help. Now in your Bible tonight for a little while, I want us to read some verses together now, these are not all of the verses in the book of Psalm that talk about joy, just a select group. Over 187 times the word joy is used throughout the Scripture. And tonight I want us to begin what we're going to be studying for several weeks. This week and next week, there are 10 things that I believe take the joy, just they, they sap the joy right out of you if you're not careful. And before we, before we figure out how to build our joy, we've got to figure out what kills our joy. And so we're going to look at that tonight. But in Psalm 5, and I'll go through, read the verse, you follow along. I'll give you a moment to turn to the next psalm, 
and uh, we'll move along. Psalm 5, verse 11. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Take note of why we can have joy in each of these verses. Now over to Psalm 16, if you would. A few pages away. Psalm 16, and we're going to be in verse 11 in Psalm 16 as well. Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 21, you don't need to turn there, but it says, The king shall joy in thy strength, O Lord. Psalm 30 and verse 5, for uh, I would do want you to turn there. Psalm 30 and verse number 5. A tremendous verse of encouragement and building strength for people in dark times. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for the night. And a lot of us have had issues and circumstances in our life where we're so overcome by the weeping that the morning comes. The next morning comes and our eyes are so swollen from our tears that we don't realize the morning is there. Notice what it says. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 32 and verse 11, just a couple pages away. Psalm 32 and verse 11. Be glad in the Lord. And rejoice, ye righteous. And again, the instruction, shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. What is this shout for joy? Second time we've heard it tonight. Shout for joy. What does that do? It allows others to see the joy in us. A few more pages away. Psalm 35, if you would please. Psalm 35 and verse number 9. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. A few verses down to verse number 27. Same chapter, 35. Let them shout for joy. There it is again. Shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. A few pages away, Psalm 42 and verse number 4. Psalm 42 and verse number 4. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a holy day. There ought to be a joy of being able to gather together in God's house. There ought to be a joy in church. Psalm 43, page away, verse number 4. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Psalm 51, a few pages away, two verses. Psalm 51 and verse 8, and we need to be reminded that this is David's confession shortly after his sin. We looked at that this morning in Sunday school class. Shortly after David's sin and the revelation to him, thou art the man, and his repentance comes in Psalm 51, and he says this, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. 
David had been through some hardships. He'd been through some judgment of sin. And he's ready. He's been at the lowest point of life. And he is ready to rejoice again. He's ready to smile again. And he prays and says, make me to hear joy and gladness. Now come down to verse 12, same Psalm 51. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Tonight our bodies physically can be falling apart. But still we have reason for joy in the salvation of God. 67 and verse 4. Psalm 67 and verse 4. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Why? For thou shalt judge the people righteously or rightly. And then Psalm 89 follows through again with a joyful sound. Psalm 95 tells us to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And then it talks to us in Psalm 96. It says, let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. Even the creation of God rejoice. Now for a little while, I want you to turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, multiple verses there as we paint the picture and set the stage for what we're looking at this evening. Psalm, or John 16 and verse number 18. They said, therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask and said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall see not see me? And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. Verse 20, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into what? Joy. It gives an illustration in verse 21. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she's delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born unto the world. I have experienced that with my wife. I remember when James was born and all that we went through. You've never been there before. You've never done that before. And I watched for the first time in my life the process of childbirth. Now, I tell you this. I, after seeing all that, it wasn't my pain. After seeing all that, I thought, man, Sonia's going to, she's going to need babied for a long time. She's going to need taken care of, and I'm going to need to give, bring to her anything that she needs. I was surprised that some of the first words out of her mouth, we met James and held James, and they said, okay, we're taking him to the shower room. We're going to scrub him and all that kind of stuff. And so for the first time in our lives, we're parents, and it's just us in the room And we've been through all of those hours of first-time labor and delivery. And my wife looked at me in the silence of that room and said, where's my makeup case? (laughs) Honest as I'm standing here, that's what she said. I was dumbfounded. If the roles were reversed, if God had had the men... Delivering the child. It would take at least an eight-week hospital stay. 
And there'd be a lot of things we were asking for, but it wouldn't be. And I, I remember looking at her, and, and I sort of remember how I felt my face must look. You're what? Your makeup case. Don't you remember what just happened? So I got her makeup case. Now let's come back to the spiritual things. Verse 22. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever we shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask and ye shall receive. Why? Now understand this. I've done everything we've done so far tonight to get us to understand this. God wants us to be a joyful people. I'm not using the word happy. I'm using the word joyful. Notice the last phrase of verse 24. That your joy may be full. Reading from Isaiah 35 and verse 10, it says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee from them. You remember that little song, and I'm not about to sing it? I thought it. Who said amen? I said I'm not going to sing it, and I heard somebody say amen, I think. Do you remember that little song that the children sing, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart? We listen to that, and we think, oh, that's cute, all that. But do we really listen to the message of the child's song? Joy is a godly inner attitude. Joy has nothing to do with what happened to you today. Happiness is happenings. What we're talking about is joy. I'll be honest with you tonight. Busyness can rob you of your joy. And that's not one of the things that we're looking at for the moment. And the devil is a thief of our joy. And I think that sometimes he uses the tool of busyness to keep us busy doing things and the things in the busyness rob us of our joy. He often comes to us dressed in different garments. I mentioned this morning the thought of being robbed. We go to all extents. I know that now there's a doorbell out that has a camera in it and it can attach to your phone. And if somebody comes on your porch, you can know it. I, I saw this week some advertising for different means of security to keep people from coming into your house and stealing the things that you have. I, have, I saw this week in the same advertising magazine as it advertised things that you can use to hide the valuables in your house. Some of them were crazy little things. A mayonnaise jar for the refrigerator. But there's no mayonnaise in it. And it doesn't open from the top. 
It opens from the bottom. Now, let me tell you what would happen. I don't need to tell you what would happen. You already picked up on it. I would go to the refrigerator, try to take the top off, realize it was light, and say, hmm, no mayonnaise, and throw the jar away. But it showed where a lady had used this security means of a mayonnaise jar. She unscrewed the bottom, turned it over, and inside of it were all kinds of pieces of jewelry that were meaningful and valuable to her. She put the bottom back on and set it in the refrigerator. There's a lot of things that they showed on this. What were they doing? They're trying to give people ways to keep from being robbed. Now, I'm going to tell this tonight. Get ready. We have five things. The devil wants to rob us of our joy. But let's not blame him when we lose our joy. Sometimes he comes dressed in different ways and uses different tools and we bite at it. We go for the things that he puts in front of us. There's one thing I think that the Bible talks more about than any other thing that Christians should model. When you look at the fruits of the Holy Spirit, what is the first? Love. What is the second? Joy. I think God put those in order for a reason. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy should not be the unusual for a Christian. It should be the normal. But I think sometimes we get to going through the motions of our Christian life and we get empty inside. And it's the attitude of joy that causes us to have joy. And joylessness, joyless living, makes us vulnerable for the attacks of Satan. Listen to what Jesus said about losing our joy. John chapter 16 and verse number 22, here's what he says about our joy. And your joy no man taketh from you. Well, if I were writing down things that happen, if I were writing down things that kill my joy... There are a few things that I will put down, and let's just be honest with each other. Most of us would say, well, my joy is killed, number one, by people. And two, by circumstances. Those are the two key things that we would look at. But Jesus said this, it's a biblical thought, no man can steal your joy. So, what kills our joy? Let's begin. One. Number one, the lack of a devotional life. The lack of a devotional life. The Bible tells us to meditate upon the Scripture. There are so many people that do not have a devotional life. Let me tell you from my point, from my place, something that's very hard for me is to divide my life and have my personal time with God and the profession time with God. 
dividing my study of preparing to feed the church versus preparing to feed me. And the devil often will say, you've read your Bible enough. You've studied enough. And even just honestly with you, it's something that I have to guard against. The lack of a devotional life is much like, in a physical sense, dehydration. Dehydration has a number of side effects that come along with it. The lack of devotion has a number of things, side effects that come along with it. Physically, let me just run through a list of symptoms, side effects of dehydration in the body. Bad breath, headache, fatigue, no tears, no elasticity to your skin and to your flesh, cramps and spasms and lightheaded and confusion and lethargy. It's amazing. You know one of the first things they do for people when they go to the emergency room? They check for dehydration. Now, dehydration isn't a horrible disease. It can be easily treated. In our spiritual life, the lack of devotion has many of the same characteristics. We can't let our busyness or our deadlines keep us from the one thing that we need the most. Devotional time. What is that? Lack of Preacher, what are you talking about devotional time? Yes, I'm talking about sitting down and reading the Scripture. Now, I hope nobody does this in here. I hope you don't take your Bible and close your eyes and just flop your Bible open and point your finger down and say, this must be what the Lord wants for me today. And you read a verse of Scripture. You may be like that guy that did try it that way, and he flipped it open, he put his finger down, and said, and he went out and hung himself. He said, hmm, that can't be what the Lord wants to, me to have today. So he tried it again, and he flipped it open, put his finger down, and said, go thou and do likewise. <laughs> That's not devotional. Devotional life is this. A scheduled, planned time with God. I encourage you in your devotional time to have a time of prayer. Take note in your Bible. My Bibles, I've got to send away pretty soon because they're getting worn and the, the bindings are breaking loose. But I want to tell you this, I don't want to lose my Bible. People will ask me questions sometimes about where a verse is or where this, that, or the other. And here's what I, I, I remember. It's on the left page of the Bible. It's on the right column of that page. And I remember notes. I've been there before. And as we have a devotional time, I want to encourage you to do this. Take note in your Bible. If not, at least take note in a notepad. And go back and look at where you've been. Take a time to sit in silence. And what the Bible says to wait on the Lord. 
Generate a word study. Take the word that we're looking at tonight. And you read a verse of Scripture and you think, well, that word, that word's interesting. Well, follow that word all the way through. Study that word. Meditate on that. Look at the background for a passage of Scripture that you're reading. What was the government situation when it was written? What city is it being written? Who is the author? What was the cultural climate of the day? Not just dropping the Bible open and reading. And listen, reading your Bible through in a year is a wonderful thing. But I, don't, I can't stand here and tell you that it's the best thing. Sometimes there are issues in our life that we need to search the Scripture for. Those are devotional time with the Lord. Number two, it robs me of my joy, an unthankful spirit. An unthankful spirit. How many of us have ever thanked the Lord for the aches and pains that we have? Very few of us. There are a number of folks in our congregation who are figuring out that growing older and growing mature is not for sissies. But do you remember what the scripture says this? In everything, give thanks. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 68 and verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits. You know, if you, were, if you were looking at a job, if you were looking at a place of employment, and I know several folks that have done this recently, in this day, in this age, as important as the salary is the benefits. I know some people today who are working a menial job compared to what they worked to for years, and they have told me, the reason that I'm doing this is for the benefits. And David said this, Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. An unthankful spirit leads to a spirit of what we could call melancholy, which basically means sadness and sorrow, not to joy. If we're not careful, when, a, when we exhibit an unthankful spirit, when we do not count the blessings and the benefits of God in our lives, suddenly we find ourselves not focusing on what He has done but we find ourselves focusing on our needs and even on our wants. And we become even less thankful for the things that God does provide for us. In everything, give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God. It's the will of God that we learn Whatever area of life we are in, give thanks. 
none of you here tonight that I know of, well, Brother and Mrs. Brown may be. They may be able to remember this, but we met a man uh, years ago. I was probably five years old when we met him. His name was Richard Miller. I, I don't know if he's living or dead now. He came to our church. We met him in Indiana, and he was an evangelist. He was a singer, and he held revival meetings in church. And when Dad became pastor here, he actually came here and held revival meetings. He said, well, that's not that unusual, but there is something unusual about him. He was born with no arms and no legs. And I mean, folks, his arms stopped right here. They looked as if they had been surgically removed. And his legs stopped about halfway down his thigh. Of course, the church wasn't handicap accessible. And he, he was wheeled around a lot of places. But he bounced a lot of places as well. It was funny to watch. In that position, in that position, wouldn't you say to be hard to be thankful for what God has given you? It would be easy to say, well, God didn't give me that, so I just, I can't do. But he could preach, he could sing, he could play the guitar. He could play ping pong like you wouldn't believe. If you'd been here and known Bubba Child, Bubba was supposedly the best at everything, and he was pretty good at, at ping pong. And he took pride in being the ping pong champion of Landmark. And I remember when Richard from the pulpit said, anybody here play ping pong? Who's the best? Bubba raised his hand. He said, tomorrow night before church, we want you to be here. And I think it was a half hour. He said, I'm going to play him in ping pong. Now here sits this guy. Picture it. No legs and no arms. You're going to play ping pong. The next night came and literally... Visitors came from all over to see it. And he took the paddle and put it between his chin and his shoulder. And he beat the pants off of a child's. He could have just sat back and said, look at what God dealt me. And I don't ever know what happened to him after that. But in my heart, in my mind, in my life, he made an impression because he didn't just say, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to sap from society and I want government to pay me and pay my way and I can't do anything because look what God has done. He said, thank God, at least he's given me something to move. And he preached, and he sang, and he had a thankful spirit for what he had. I read the story a number of years ago. In fact, I talked to the guy that actually saw this. He saw it in India where leprosy was still raging. He saw a young adult man who had been fluent with the piano, and leprosy set in. His fingers literally began to fall off. And he played the piano with whatever he could. And then his fingers were nothing on his hand. It was just a clubbed hand. 
This preacher said, I watched him play the piano with his elbow until he lost his arms. He said, I was back about a year later and he was playing the piano with his nose. He said, I never saw him again, but the missionary reported on furlough and he said when, he, when leprosy took his nose and his body was almost gone, he said he would come and play the piano with his tongue. Now let me ask you this before we move to number three. Are you thankful in everything? For this is the will of God. In Christ Jesus concerning you. Number one, the lack of a devotional life. Number two, an unthankful spirit. Number three, dreaming outside of the will of God. Dreaming outside of the will of God. When our spirits become burdened with difficulties of life, and some of those difficulties brought on because we neglected to thank God for His blessings, the grass begins to look greener on the other side of the fence. There have been a lot of marriages that have fallen apart because the grass looked greener on the other side of the fence. There have been a, a lot of people who have lost their jobs They've given up something good because the grass looked greener. There's a lot of people who have left good churches because they begin to dream outside of the will of God. And the grass looked greener on the other side of the fence. And a man will leave his wife and say, well, I'm going to go over here and start again. I'm going to leave this job and start again. I'm going to leave this church and go to another church. And I've heard this multiple times. And in that church, I'm going to do, and in reality, they're going to do in that church things that they wouldn't do in this church. Here's what I have found about that statement. The grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is always greener over the septic tank. Some of you will think about that on the way home. I'll go somewhere else. I'll do something else. Here's where we get caught. What if? What if? Now let me ask you this. Do you want to finish your course with joy? Or do you want to be remembered as an old grump? As a gripe? As one that sits around full of sorrow and you'd just rather not be around that person. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20, if you would please. And I want you to think of what all has happened in Paul's life. All the shipwrecks and the beatings and the snake bites and rejection of people and a total transformation from his prior life to his life serving the true and living God the road to Damascus and all of those things. Now he's been in prison back and forth. And at the moment of Acts chapter 20, he is bound for Jerusalem. 
We're not going to read the whole chapter through. It's a good chapter to take note of and to read if you're studying your joy. He's on his way. He's bound for Jerusalem. And here's what he writes. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to expect. He said, I'm bound for Jerusalem not knowing what shall befall me. And he talks about his bonds and his afflictions. But notice verse 24. But none of these things move me. None of these things move me. The uncertainties. Yeah, my back was beaten. Yeah, I was stoned and they threw me outside of the city. And they left me there because they thought I was dead, but I wasn't. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. So that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. In verse number 25, you know what he tells them? You will not see my face again. And if you read the rest of the chapter, they aren't filled with joy over that thought. Their hearts are broken. But notice what Paul says. I... These things don't move me. I'm more concerned about finishing my life with joy. And the joy, the, listen, every one of you here tonight, whether you want to believe it or not, you are in ministry. If you're not in ministry, you're out of the will of God. Because God gives every one of His children ministry. And Paul says this, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, that which He gave me to testify of the gospel. He wanted every part of His life to be a testimony. Here's what He knew that we need to understand. He knew that His joy was a testimony to others. It was one, a testimony to this church as He's writing of His life. It's going to be a testimony to you and I tonight who read it. To those that watch him as he's being moved, preparing to go to Jerusalem. And they know why he's been bound. Number one, the lack of a devotional life. Number two, an unthankful spirit. Number three, dreaming outside of the will of God. Number four, comparing ourselves with others. Comparing ourselves with others. You might be looking at someone else's lighter load. God has a heavy load for you. God has a heavy burden for you. And you look at your load and then you look to another person's load and you say, well, why didn't God give them what He gave me? And we compare ourselves to others. And suddenly we find ourselves feeling cheated by God. Feeling inferior. And most of all, feeling joyless. But when we compare our work or our opportunities with others, we're bound to lose our joy. I want you to find your place in Galatians chapter 6. We'll turn to two more passages. Galatians chapter 6. Comparing ourselves to others. 
Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 4. But let every man prove his brother's work. Let every man prove his neighbor's work. Oh, thank you. But let every man prove his own work. Doesn't say let us all compare our work to somebody else's or our load to somebody else's. But let every man prove his own work. And then ye shall have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. I don't have to be you. And you don't have to be me. And we kill our joy when we compare ourselves to someone else. Another proof of the passage, John chapter 21, and find your place there. John chapter number 21. Proving or comparing ourselves to others. Now in John chapter 21, Peter has just been fishing and Scripture verse 11 of chapter 21 talks about 153 fish. Verse number 12, Jesus makes the statement and he invites the disciples to come and, and dine with him. This is the third showing of Christ to his disciples after his resurrection. In verse 15 through 17 of John 21, we hear Jesus ask Peter, Do you love me? And we hear Peter's three responses. And I can't say to you that before the filling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that Peter really, his attitude ever really got right. Now remember, he has just denied Christ. And when the rooster crowed, his eyes caught Christ's eyes. And the Bible said that he wept bitterly. When the resurrection and the empty tomb was announced to the disciples, I believe Peter ran with tears. And there was a time, the first viewing of Christ after the resurrection, when again, Peter's eyes locked on the eyes of Christ. And you remember what Peter had said before with that, although everybody be offended, not me, I'm better than that is what he was saying. But then his eyes locked to Christ. In John chapter 21, the Lord is dealing with him about his love and his obedience. And three times he asked him, do you love me? And finally Peter had to say this, Lord, you know. How, how does he defend himself with that? Now, I want us to pick up in verse number 18. We'll read through 22. Jesus saying or talking now to Peter, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou what is not. He tells him the difference of being young and old. He's explaining really to Peter 
what life and death are going to bring. This spake he, verse 19, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had thus spoken, or when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Then Peter, turning about, seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on the breast, his breast at supper, and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, Peter, seeing John, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? You know what he's doing? He's comparing himself. Lord, if when I was young and I gird myself and I went where I wanted and I had strength, and when I get old, some, you're telling me somebody's got to gird me, dress me, lead me, hold my hands where I go, wherever I want to go, somebody's got to take me. Well, what about John? What shall this man do? Look at verse 22. Then said Jesus unto him, if I, tear, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is it to thee? You know, last week's message had an unusual title, Mind Your Own Business. This is another case with that. Peter, mind your own business. You're not John. You don't want to know what happens to John. You just be Peter. And then after that, the other disciples get in on it. And when we come down a little bit later in the chapter, Jesus asked them, what is it to thee? What, 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 why are you comparing yourself to him? And that's why the scripture tells us this. Let us run with patience the race that is set before our brethren. No. No. Let us run with patience the race that is set before me. Quit comparing ourselves to other people. Number five, impure thoughts. Impure thoughts. And we are all tempted with these. Listen, I'm going to tell you what. We live, we live in a pornographic society. Pornography is ripping this nation to pieces. It's a sad and sickening thought tonight that the same instruments in this room that are used to broadcast song onto that screen for us to worship. All we would have to do is make a couple of changes up there to receive. And every pornographic thing is flying through the air that we're in. You know, you know what happened with David? We studied this in Sunday school this morning. All of David's sin started with what he saw. And when he saw something, impure thought. And I'm not just talking about impure thoughts of immorality, adultery, fornication, and sexual sins. Do you remember when Elijah had experienced such great victory? He had just killed off a tremendous number of false prophets. He had prayed 64 words. And fire fell out of heaven. And consumed the, 
what would be the burnt offering after they had put barrels and barrels of water. Don't you think that's encouraging? Jezebel said, you're going to be the same as these false prophets before tomorrow. And Elijah began to think about that. And not too far away, do you know what we hear him say when he has had impure thought? I alone am left. There's nobody else serving the Lord. There's nobody else that believes. That was his thought. Can I tell you a tragic thing about Jonah tonight? I think the most horrific thing for me is that we never see a change in him. He was obedient and he went and preached and he delivered God's word and God did what his message was. When they repented, God forgave them. But in his mind, and we believe what happened with Jonah is that Jonah had seen the vileness of the armies of Nineveh possibly coming into his house. Possibly killing and assaulting people that he knew. And possibly in his mind, he thought, I don't want to deliver this message because I really would like to see these people dead. That's his thought. Elijah's thought is, I'm alone. David's thought is, how beautiful. I'm the king. I can get this. One of the things, as we finish this tonight, this fifth thing, that robs us of our joy is where we allow our thought life to go. For a man, impure thoughts may be lustful thoughts. For a woman, covetous thoughts. No one who is under the constant conviction of the Holy Spirit is going to be full of joy. Who is happy? Who is happy? Who is joyful? The Christian who has a pure heart. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And David learned it the hard way, but he wrote in Psalm 16 and verse 11, In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures evermore. You remember what the scripture said about our joy in everything? Give thanks. For this is the will of God. God's thought for us, His desire for us, and really His command for us is to be people of joy. I'm finished, but I want to say this. One of the reasons I believe that people are not being drawn to Christ is because we exhibit no joy. And it's not the devil that has robbed us of it. Oh, he's had tools that he's laid out. It's our habits. It's the things that we allow. Next Sunday night, we'll pick up with number six. We'll study five more. And the following Sunday night, we'll come back and we'll look at the positive things of how to keep, build, and maintain our joy. Let's pray together, please. Father, thank you for your word. Help us tonight to be mindful of its truth.